This is Ham College, episode 29 for May 31st, 2017. Ham College is brought to you by ICOM. Grab your ICOM gear and get on the air for Phil Day, June 24th and 25th. And by hamstudy.org, a great way to study for your next license exam. Good evening. Welcome to another episode of Ham College. I'm Professor Thomas. And I'm Dean Martin. Still. Still. (laughs) It's good to be back, and this is going to be the final episode on the technician exam. Yeah, you know, it's about time to graduate. It is? Well, from this, uh, then you've got to go on to, you know, uh, to get your next degree. Yeah, but you don't have to do it immediately. You can sit out a while. If you're ambitious, you can, but uh, it's good just to enjoy the one that you got. It is. Uh, So we're going to wrap it up tonight, cover the final remaining few questions, and we're going to talk a little bit about some things you need to know before you take your exam. Yep. And maybe some things that you need to know afterwards. Yeah. All good good tips. You know, anytime we're doing a show, we've got a chat room going on at the same time. You can join in, amateurlogic.tv slash chat. There's a group of folks in there right now having a good time, and we look at it as we can throughout the show. Uh, some things will slip by us, and we'll have to go back and check them out later. Yeah, they, they, don't, they are having a ball in there. It's uh, Sometimes if you catch it out of the corner of your eye, it's kind of hard not to focus on that and join in. So if it you're is. not on the chat room, you're missing out with a good part of the, the live stream here. Sure are. Well, Tommy, we just got back from Dayton Hamvention. We did, and it, it was fantastic. I liked the new venue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure everybody knows that they moved to a new place, to the Greene County Fairgrounds, and uh, it was actually pretty nice for the most part. It was. It was. It was different. You mm-hmm. know, some things I, I didn't like as well, some things I liked better. Yeah. But overall, it, it was uh, Hamvention, and... A lot of the same old friends, a lot of new friends. Same, the usual suspects. Usual suspects there. A little more room spread out. People weren't uh, huddled together so much. Mm -hmm. A little more room to walk around. And uh, I I did miss the mud wrestling, though. I wasn't able to catch it. Yeah, we did. We missed that. Yeah, they had had a little bit of problem with the mud out the uh, flea market area. Um, but and I, I don't know what they'll do, but I'm pretty sure they'll figure something out for for next year. Yeah. But um, the as far as the the indoor places, it was really nice because people weren't just running into each other. And, right. And mm-hmm. you know when you went into the old place at, at uh, Hera, the um, the arena part, people mm-hmm. were just jammed in there, and you couldn't hardly move. It was kind of miserable. Well, it kind of reminds me, you know. Um when you raise cows, you got that little chute where you herd them all in together to get them yeah, in the catch. Yeah, and that's pen. exactly what that's it was what like. That's what it was like at, at Harrow. Yeah, we're, I didn't really see any of that this time. Yeah, I didn't either. But uh, the only downside of that, 
is um, is that some of the people that you normally see, I didn't see this year. And yeah. I know they were there. I know they were there, but they were, we were just in opposite directions mm-hmm. there on the fairgrounds. Yeah. So. Uh, missed a few of them, but there again, you know, we, we did get to visit, and it was a little easier to visit, I think, mm-hmm. because you had more room. Uh, I think all the new exhibitors uh, or uh, exhibitors of new equipment were happy. Everyone I talked mm-hmm. to liked it. Uh, sure, we could have had air conditioning. That would have made it better on the first day there. Yeah. The second day, it wasn't an issue at all. Yeah, typically up there, it's not that hot. But yeah. uh, that one day was pretty warm. But uh, the other two days, it was really nice out. Yeah. Well, Tommy, what do you say we get on into these questions here? We don't have many left. I didn't count them, but there, there's not many here. We could have the buzzer go off tonight because I didn't really look over these very well. Looks right. like we got nine. When we finish these few, how many will we have gone through? Uh, that won't four, be on the exam. 425 or so, I think, right? I think it's Something, uh, somewhere around there. 426. I was close. You were right felt there. Like See, that's we the may one be... that you're missing. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I don't know. I don't know what happened to it. <laughs> uh, it'll show up. <laughs> okay. First question here. Uh, why don't you hit me with this one? Okay. What type of radiation are VHF and UHF radio signals? A, gamma radiation. B, ionizing radiation. C, alpha radiation. Or D, non-ionizing radiation. This was a really good one for you because I don't know the answer to this one. Well, I do know the answer to this one. Okay. Maybe the only one I do know the answer to this time around. By the way, these are on safety tonight. And as you were saying before the show tonight, when you were riding in and we were talking, and the fire truck came through the neighborhood. <laughs> Never pays to be too safe. Yep. <laughs> which is which is not exactly correct. That was really a, a really poor phrase. <clears throat> okay. All right. A, B, C, or D? Well, it's D. Non-ionizing radiation. What do you think? Why is it D? Just because you know that? Because the people in the chat room are saying it's D. Yeah. It's no. not A, because that makes you green. It's it's just because I know yeah. it. There we go. Non-ionizing well, radiation. Good job. But So that's that's one. I guess you're not going to be able to, uh, to reason out. You're just going to have to memorize it. You're, and you're, I think... All of these exposure ones that we've got tonight, there are probably not very many, I think, that uh, I, don't, I don't know all the questions that are coming. I just glanced at the list, but I know that topic's probably not going to be easy to reason out. Yeah. Stuff on well, that. I will say that there weren't nearly as many folks in the chat room entering an answer on this one right here. So uh, it's a little bit tougher question. Mm-hmm. Well, I got one for you. Which of the following is an acceptable method to determine that your station complies with FCC RF exposure regulations? A, by calculation based on FCC OET Bulletin 65. B, by calculation based on computer modeling. 
C. By measurement of field strength using calibrated equipment. Or D. All of these choices are correct. Boy, I'm glad you got this one. Yeah. Um, I, got, I have a hunch on this one. I, I, don't, I don't know what FCC OET Bulletin 65 is, I, but I do think I remember reading that back when I studied for my test a long time ago or, or reading about that. By, or B, by calculation based on computer, computer modeling. Now, that seems totally plausible because um, you, can, you can actually see the mm-hmm. patterns and um, the intensity and stuff yep. from that. So uh, C, by measurement of field strength using calibrated equipment. I know that's a valid answer. So I'm thinking the answer is going to be D, but I'm pretty questionable about that number A one because I'm not, I don't know that one. I'm just going to guess it's D, though. Well, I'm going to say based on what you said, yeah, I would agree. It has to be because if, if you know B and C is right. It just seems like A should probably be right, too. And yeah. I, I think I remember reading that, that uh, uh, OEC, OET Bolton 65 All right, in I got the past. The- I got the buzzer ready here. Let's see. Hit me. Oh. Wow. I got lucky. That, that was luck, too, because I don't... <laughs> <laughs> you didn't really... I'm going to go back and look yeah. up that uh, that Bulletin 65 and see what's in it. Yep. Okay. What you got for me? All right. How about this one? What could happen if a person accidentally touched your antenna while you were transmitting? A... Touching the antenna could cause television interference. B, they might receive a painful RF burn. C, they might develop radiation poisoning. Or D, all of these choices are correct. Well, it's not going to be D because I know C is wrong. They won't develop radiation poisoning. Mm-hmm. That's you know what you get from uh, nuclear radiation. Uh, touching the antenna Antenna could cause television interference. Maybe, but if you if you if you say bad words when it yeah hurts. if you touched it and moved it next to the TV <laughs> yeah uh, yeah yeah it, yeah if you uh, cover up the volume level of the uh, of things you shouldn't be saying. But we know that it'll burn you if you touch an antenna while it's transmitting. I'm not talking about a rubber duck on a handy talkie. I'm talking about. Uh, HF antenna or maybe the mm. antenna on your mobile, you touch that, you're going to get a painful little burn there that mm-hmm. doesn't heal up instantly either. It it stays with you a little while. Um, I actually remember that exact answer from when I studied for my license. And shoot, I, you know, I was planning on demonstrating it to you after the show tonight. You're going to touch your antenna? No. I was going to let you. Uh, yeah. That way it would stick with yeah, you Yeah, that's better. not going to happen. Well, let's see. Everybody in the chat room saying B. I, I think that one's kind of no-brainer. We knew uh, what the answer to it was going to be. Which of the following actions might amateur operators take to prevent RF exposure or to prevent exposure to RF radiation in excess of FCC supplied limits? A, relocate your antennas. B, relocate the transmitter. C, increase the duty cycle. Or D, all these choices are correct. And this one's mine, and I'm going to say that they're all not correct, so I'm scratching D off of there. Because increasing the duty cycle 
on your gear is not going to... No, that's probably going to increase. Uh -huh. uh, relocate the transmitter. That's not going to uh, change the exposure. The only thing that's going to change that would be lowering your power or relocating the antenna. Relocating the antenna is the only one up there, so I'm going with the A. Well, that's what everybody's saying over in the chat. I'm going to go with A as well, Tom. Relocate the antenna. You know, relocate the transmitter might sound plausible, but the transmitter itself shouldn't be radiating any power except out the antenna connection on it, which is, it's um, you know, connected to a properly terminated transmission line. There's not really going to be RF to speak of radiating out into your shot coming right. from the transmitter. But we know it's the antenna's job to radiate. So, so that's the logical thing to, to yeah. move away from people. Yeah. Okay, what do we got next? Uh, how can you make sure your station stays in compliance with RF safety regulations? A, by informing the FCC of any changes made in your station. B, by reevaluating the station whenever an item of equipment is changed. C, by making your antenna have low SWR. Or D, all of these choices are correct. Well, let's just go through them here. I know it's not D, all of these choices are correct, because I know some of them aren't. The first thing, by informing the FCC of any changes made in your station, they are going to get tired of hearing from you mighty quick. <laughs> yeah, you know they you don't know, want that. They've got other stuff to do. They, um, so no, that's not it. Uh, C, by making sure your antennas have low SWR. No, that's not really going to, I mean, that's a good idea, but that's not going to really help you uh, with RF compliance or safety regulations. So it's going to be B, by reevaluating the station whenever an item of equipment is changed. You can't go wrong with that because you're just, mm -hmm. you're just thinking about, well, what have we got here in the chain and what could be an issue? Yeah, did I get a bigger amp? Did whatever. Yeah. Yep, or did I did I change my antenna? Mm -hmm. So B and everybody in the chat room got that right. Although there was an A in there, and I'm I'm thinking uh, surely that those were jokes. Those uh, those weren't serious answers there. They yeah. If you think about these things like logically. Think them through. Most of these you can reason out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got another one for you. Why is duty cycle one of the factors used to determine safe RF radiation exposure levels? Is it A, it affects the average exposure of people to radiation? Uh, B, it affects the peak exposure of people to radiation. C, it takes into account the antenna feed line loss. Or D, it takes into account the thermal effects of the final amplifier. I don't think the answer is going to be D, thermal effects of the final amplifier. Uh, and I don't think it's going to be C, feed line loss is not going to play into it very much either. It affects the peak exposure of people to radiation. The peak would be while you're keying up, 
in the maximum powers they're be you know being hit with a maximum amount or a affects the average exposure of people and the duty cycle that's, yeah it's gonna it's got to be a because the duty cycle is going to be how long you can transmit for a period of time before you need to rest it mm-hmm. and then that's gonna that would affect uh people because that's that's one of the thing that it is the power mm-hmm. over time yeah. So I think it's going to be A. Well, I'm going to agree with you. And that so, was a really convoluted way to work it out, but they, at least that's what I think it is. So. I, I think you're right. All all of these safety experts over here in the chat room agree with you on that one. Never so pays to be too safe. That's what I always say. Yep. It affects the average exposure of people to radiation. Really, you were down to, to two serious choices there. It's either going to be A or B. And let me just say this. When you're um, considering RF exposure limits, the FCC is basically taking, um, it's more than this, but two main points, how much is a power level and how long are you exposed to it? Right. Because, uh, you know, I had to do some studies in years back on some AM uh, transmitter sites and antenna systems, and I had to calculate, we, we had an antenna there that's putting out, five kilowatts you could walk up to that antenna and you could stay there for a certain length of time and then you would have to move away for a certain length of time to kind of like refresh before you could move back in again and you could stay that initial length of time again so it's it's an average um it's not just peak i mean you, you could walk up to a higher power you just can't stay there as long All right, so that's, moving that's, on. That's pretty wild. Like yeah. how long? How long can you stay? Do you remember? I don't remember the equations. It's different at different frequencies. Um, I think some of that will come up in the general. If I remember yeah. right, I think so. We'll be finding that out when we go to missing those questions. Yeah, get that buzzer <laughs> ready. Okay, what do you got for me? All right, this is a good one for you. Wait a minute, I think I just answered this one for you. What is the definition of duty cycle during the averaging time for RF exposure? A, the difference between the lowest power output and the highest power output of a transmitter. B, the difference between the PEP and average power output of a transmitter. C, the percentage of time that a transmitter is transmitting. Or D, the percentage of time that a transmitter is not transmitting. Well, I think that one's pretty easy to figure out there. Yeah, we uh, just discussed that. Yeah. The definition of duty cycle, well, duty cycle means basically the length of time that it's on or it's uh, performing its duty. So the difference between the lowest power output and the highest power output, no, that's not duty cycle. Uh, the difference between PEP and average power output, that's not duty cycle. Uh, D, the percentage of time that a transmitter is not transmitting, that would be right the opposite of duty cycle. So I'm going to say at C, the percentage of time that a transmitter is transmitting. And yep. that's what everybody's saying in the chat room there, so you know it's I would right. I would concur, for, concur with that, Professor Thomas. Okay, Dean Martin. 
They said they never get tired of that. I'm I'm gonna see if that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're probably getting pretty close to finding an answer <laughs> yeah. to that one too. So there it is, C. The percentage of time that a transmitter is transmitting. Okay, we're down right to the, the money. The final two questions here. Oh yeah. So the final know. one if you got my paper. Yeah. Well let me ask you this one. Or maybe well, no, hopefully you'll have one more on there. How does RF radiation differ from ionizing radiation, which is radioactivity? A, RF radiation does not have sufficient energy to cause genetic damages. B, RF radiation can only be detected with an RF decimeter. C, RF radiation is likely, or excuse me, RF radiation is limited in range to a few feet. RF radiation is perfectly safe, D. How does RF radiation differ from ionizing radioactivity? And I think... Uh, Radiation, RF radiation is not perfectly safe because we determine you can get burned from it. Yep. Uh, so D's not it. C, RF radiation is limited to a few feet. That's not true. C's not true because it's really going to depend on the amount of power and the amount of time. B, RF radiation can only be detected with an RF dosimeter, and that's not true either. So, Never heard of one. So the answer is going to be A. RF radiation does not have sufficient energy to cause genetic damage. Well, I'm going to agree with which you. Which I think that's what the definition of ionizing yep. is. Uh, so that, that would actually be... Uh, John KC7DRI is wondering if George is going to whip out the dosimeter. Do you no, <laughs> I don't have one. So maybe there is no such thing. Yeah. So let's see. Yep, Tommy, you're right. RF radiation does not have sufficient energy to cause genetic damage. So we know the difference between ionizing and non-ionizing radiation now. Yep. Ionizing radiation is radioactivity. So non-ionizing would be like RF energy or something other than radioactivity. Makes sense to you? Semi. Semi. Okay, well, that's that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So <laughs> maybe it's right. It's close enough. All right. I just saw it. Drum roll. And the last question <laughs> on the amateur radio technician exam. If the averaging time for exposure is six minutes, how much power density is permitted if the signal is present for three minutes and absent for three minutes, rather than being present for the entire six minutes? A, three times as much. B, half as much. C, two times as much. D, there is no adjustment allowed for shorter exposure times. You're going to have to do your gazentas to get to this one. I think so. I'm going to have to read this one again, too. This is... It's quite this, wordy. Yeah. 
If the averaging time for exposure is six minutes, okay, how much power density is permitted if the signal is present for three minutes and absent for three minutes rather than being present for the oh. entire six minutes? Well, come on, Professor Thomas. There's right. only one logical answer there. Well, you would think... D, there is no adjustment allowed for shorter exposure times is wrong because we just said that the FCC takes into account mm -hmm. uh, as well as physics the length of time that, you know, you're exposed to that radiation. Uh, let's see, you're going to be around it for half of the six minutes and away from it for half of the six. So it's not going to be three times as much exposure. That's not it. The math just doesn't work out there. Um, it's not going to be two times as much because there again, you're, you're cutting your exposure in half. You're staying away from it, uh, half of the time. So I'm going to say it's B half as much. That's kind of, well, they're all over the place in the chat room there, Tommy. Okay. I, th I think it's C. If the averaging time for exposure is six minutes... Oh, I think How I read the question. How much power density is permitted if the signal is present for three minutes and absent for three minutes? So you should be able to be there yeah, for twice right. the time. Yeah, you're right. I I was thinking about your buzz. Your buzz. <laughs> I haven't pushed the button yet, man. But yeah, I think you're right. I'd, uh, I I wasn't reading the question and thinking about it correctly because. What I did is cut my exposure in half, and but that isn't what they wanted to know. They wanted to know how much more was permitted, so it would be the averaging much. averaging time. Yeah. So uh, we'll have to see if the buzzer goes off on this one. Two times as much. Okay, well, and I save the save the best one for last. Yep. How long has that been? Like two years. I should have known what that one was. I just, uh, oh, I'm I just, just calculated it backwards. I wasn't looking closely at uh, the exact wording, which is and something. And that's a key. That's, that's a, key a key tip. There will be answers in there, purposely to throw you off. Uh, so be on the lookout for that when you're taking your exam. Well, Tommy, we've got a lot more tips on taking your exam. We're going to be back with them in just a moment here, but first let's pay a few bills. All righty. Calling all stations. Make sure you grab your ICOM gear for the most popular on-air event, Field Day, June 24th and 25th. Let ICOM help you make the most contacts or practice for emergency situations. Don't forget to bring along the perfect field day companion, the IC7300. Ideal for the ham on the go, it's a high-performance, innovative HF transceiver with a compact design. RF direct sampling, 15 discrete bandpass filters, large 4.3-inch color touchscreen, real-time spectrum scope, SD memory card slot, and more. Hear and see a wide variety of signals with the R8600, ICOM's new high-performance software-defined receiver. An industry first for desktop wideband receivers, the R8600 provides a high-resolution, real-time spectrum scope, 
with a waterfall. 4.3-inch high-resolution color display with touchscreen features, SD card slot for receive log, decode log, and voice recording. And it scans up to 100 channels per second in memory scan mode. The ICOM America Hamster Japan sweepstakes is underway. Enter today for a chance to win an ICOM radio or even an unforgettable experience to attend the 2017 Tokyo Ham Fair. Make sure you come back and enter each week to be eligible for each radio drawing. And visit icomamerica.com amateur for more information on this and all the ICOM radios. Thanks, ICOM, for being a sponsor of Ham College. We couldn't have done it without you. Oh, yeah, I really appreciate them um, supporting the show. We do. Speaking of that, look what just showed up on my table here. How about that? It's quite timely. It was just like magical like it's happened before. Yeah. So what are we going to do with that, Tommy? I think we should give it away to somebody. It's and been down here for so long. Actually, we give one away every month. I saw uh, quite a few people at uh, Dayton Hamvention this year wearing these shirts and the caps like this. Um, you know, I did you too. Don't, you don't want to be left out. Well, if you want to get one, what would you do? Well, you would send your name. You don't have to have a call sign. You send yep. your name uh, to the address right there, Ham College at AmateurLogic.tv, and you'll be in the drawing. Yeah, just send us a comment, no call sign or anything special required. But you do need to have a name, though. You do need a name and an email address. Yep. And uh, the, the kind folks at ICOM will contact you. And get your size information and send it mm-hmm. to you. So I just did a drawing at, uh, fr- well, from the entries at Ham College at AmateurLogic.tv. And who do you think this month's winner is? Tom? I have no idea. You just drew the winner. I did. And you haven't seen it. No, I haven't. Uh, the winner is Glenn Packer from Connecticut. He says he's taking his test this week. And he has his eye on an IC7300 for his first HF rig. Thanks for all your help, guys. Well, Glenn, I I don't know. Uh, let's see. He wrote this on the 30th of last month. So I haven't heard back if he passed his exam or not. Well, I'm, bet, I'm betting he, he did. did. Re- regardless, he's still going to need a cap yeah. and a shirt anyway. I'm, I'm sure he did well on it. And they... You'll, uh, you, the kind people at ICOM will reach out to you and get your shirt to you and your cap. Yep. And your cap, along with uh, a few other goodies, I am told. Yeah. These, uh, if you don't have one of these shirts, even if you have one, I guess, and you, and, uh, you want to enter, uh, be sure to send your information in and uh, yep. for your chance to get entered into the drawing. You could win. Simple as that. All right, uh, we've got some more things to do here tonight, then. We've got some, well, we've got an interview coming up here in a little bit that we did while we were at Hamvention yeah. this year. Yeah, that was kind of neat to run into him. And he shared some of the same ideas we did about uh, mm-hmm. taking your, your test and how to study. But let's go over a few of these things first. How can you even find out when there's going to be an exam given in your area, Tommy? Yeah, you're going to need to go to one of the the VEC sites and look up for the schedule. There, there are three primary ones that I'm aware of, mm-hmm. although there there are quite a few. Mm-hmm. This one is uh, w5yi.org. They're 
one of the VEC organizations. Mm-hmm. So how would you know when the next exam is going to be? Well, you can go to W5YI.org. They've got a list there of all the amateur radio examiners, the people who give the test. Uh, you'll see they've got their name, they've got an email address and a phone number. Mm-hmm. I would say just drop them a line and ask them, the, the people in your area, hey, what are y'all giving the next exam? Um, and so, some of the uh, the VEC organizations have a schedule online. Mm-hmm. I know the ARRL does, and I believe the Laurel one does, uh, of the scheduled testing dates. Okay. There's, um, there's some there for Laurel. Yeah. But I, I would suggest um, just looking up a VEC there, asking them, you know, when's your next exam, how much does it cost, because it, that could vary a little bit. There's a maximum amount mm-hmm. that the FCC will allow them to charge, but I think there are certain ones that don't charge anything. Yeah, and I, I believe Laurel doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the ARRL one, I think it, even the ones that charge, it's only a minimal fee mm-hmm. to cover administration costs and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think the most of one I've seen is like $15. Yeah, and if if you think you're going to go to the particular exam that you're discussing with them, well, then tell them. Tell them, okay, I'm, I'm planning on coming Saturday to take the exam. Mm-hmm. And then show up on Saturday. Because they have to, in advance, get enough VEs together to give those exams. They've got to have a mm-hmm. minimum of three. But, you know, and if they've got a large number of people taking tests, they'll need more than three VEs there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know the group here that gives them... Mm-hmm. We're, we're both VEs here, mm-hmm. and they, they send out an email about once a month. We've got a big group coming up and mm-hmm. at so-and-so, and, and, you know, if you can come, let me know. So they yeah. try to let them, you know, line them up ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So it kind of helps to, to let your VEs know that uh, you plan on taking the exam, so they'll be prepared. Uh, also ask them, what do you need to bring? And that, that could be different. It, it it varies also. I think you've got some notes here on that. Don't I you? do. Uh, typically, uh, like the ARRL says, uh, you know, two pencils with erasers and a pen. Uh, mm-hmm. You can bring a calculator, but not a programmable calculator. And you cannot use the calculator on your phone. I don't believe any of them will let you do that. Matter mm-hmm. of fact, your phone typically is supposed to be off in there. Yeah. Um, you need to bring two forms of identification for most of them. Some of them I only saw one, uh, but typically it, it wouldn't hurt to bring two forms of identification. Mm-hmm. If you're upgrading, uh, bring a copy of your old license certificate. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, this is typically aimed at text, but that'll come around for you later when you get ready to upgrade. Yep. Um, your Social Security number, and if, if you're un you know, if you don't want to give out your Social Security number, you can get an FRN number from the FCC, and you they will accept that as well, federal registration number. Um, what, am I missing anything? Uh, let's see. If applicable, bring a photocopy of your amateur radio license. Yep, that's what yep. I just mentioned that. Um, photo ID. Yeah, one of, you need to have a photo ID for one of those forms of mm-hmm. identification. Uh, let's see, you mentioned the pencils, the calculator, uh, you mentioned the money, mm-hmm. uh, check, check, money, money order, order or cash. cash, and 
on the uh, IDs here, and we're talking about the ARRL right now, what, what the ARRL VEC uh, requires. Uh, for ID, if you don't have a photo ID available, you need two forms of identification. And they can be a non-photo ID, uh, a driver's license, because some stations uh, still don't have photos on their driver's license. I didn't know that. Oh, some states? Really? That's what it says here. Interesting. Uh, you could have a birth certificate, but it's got to have the appropriate seal on it. A social security card. A library card. I never would have mm-hmm. thought of that. Or you could have a utility bill, a bank statement, or other business correspondence that uh, specifically names a person or a postmark envelope addressed to the person that has a, her current mailing address as it appears. Well, I can bring a whole box of bills. Yep. There you go. They don't want you to leave them, though. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, a number of different forms of ID you can use if the ARRL is administering your exam. What about Laurel, Tommy? They it's, uh, uh, a little it, different. Yeah, I, that uh, the list was very short for what I saw there for that one. You got to have a photo ID, uh, copy of your license again if you're upgrading. Uh, I believe it said they supply the pencil, and from what I read, there's no fee at Laurel. Uh, don't hold me to that, but that, I, that's what I read on the website. Mm-hmm. Um, did I miss anything? Uh, well, yeah, there's about this much. Well, fill so, me in. <clears throat> All right. Uh, let's see. You said a copy of your license if you've got one. If you've taken an exam previously, uh, you can bring documentation proving that you uh, have passed a particular element in the exam. For If you're taking a yeah, technician exam, then that's that's probably not going to be a factor for you. Uh, if you are uh, are a child without a photo ID, all you need to do with Laurel is uh, have some method of proving uh, your identity to the satisfaction of the VEC team leader. Um, a technician license granted prior to March twenty first, nineteen eighty seven. Element or credit element three. You need an original or a photocopy. Um, an expired and subsequently counseled general class exam, you get element three credit. Same with an advanced. Uh, same with an extra, uh, but you'd get credit for element three and four. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but that's what it says here. Uh, you can have a letter from the FCC confirming that you had previously held a class of license for which you will be given credit for the Element 3 exams, an unexpired certificate of successful completion of an exam, which they call an S, excuse me, a CSCE, indicating the credits that you've earned, a positive attitude and some patience. That's very important. It is. Those okay. those guys have a really busy job, so the patience is pretty important. It is. Um, that's their, That's basically a free job they're doing out there for community service. Mm-hmm. And uh, so kind of hang with those guys and uh, yeah. have a little patience. Yeah, they're not your employees, and, and they're not making anything off of this. Yeah. You know, they're, they're strictly volunteers. Okay, so what do you need to bring? Well, we just covered that. What does it cost? Well, we kind of covered that, too. 
to the best we can. It could be up to $15, depending on who's giving the exam. Uh, let them know you're coming. What's going to be on your exam, Tommy? A bunch of questions. Kind of like the ones we just went over. Very similar. Yeah. Very similar. Uh, it's going to be 35 questions out of the 426 that we've reviewed here on Ham College. Yep. So, um, there you go. That's 426 questions of fun we've been over. It is. And, you know, we got an amazing number of them correct. Not sure how that happened yet. It's purely accident. Purely no, accident. No, it's not. It's just actually we've we've taken the test before, so we had the leg up on it. But but uh, stopping to reason those things out, yeah, uh, and then some of the experience that we've had helps with that. But I'm pretty sure we're not going to have that same rate with the general. Mm-hmm. I suspect there'll be a few more buzzes in there, but I hope not a lot. There's going to be some. Oh yeah, I, yeah, uh, I can count on I, it. I know it is. Bet on it. Yep. So what should you do before you take your exam? Well, you should go over the questions, of course, like we've just done here. Uh, you got any other tips, Tommy? Yeah, get rested. Have get a good, good night's sleep. sleep. Don't do like mm-hmm. I did and go in there dog-tired. It's kind of the way I played it. Yeah. We had a fire where I worked the night before I was supposed to take mine, so I mm-hmm. was up moving things out of the building most of the night. I went home. Took a short nap, got up, and drove straight over there to take my test. So it wasn't how I planned it. It just worked out like that. Yeah. Um, You need to keep studying your theory and your questions until exam time. That way they'll be fresh on your mind. If, uh, you you know, you're riding or or driving to the exam and someone's there with you, have them ask you questions on your way to the exam Mm -hmm. to kind of get in the frame of mind for taking a test. Yeah. You know, you know, and I know if I'm if I'm personally if I'm pretty nervous about something like that, I find that if I get up a little bit early in the morning and just kind of study over things just a real quick once over, mm-hmm. sort of firms things up for me right before I go take the test. I think you're right. Well, we got a few more things we want to cover here on what to expect on your exam. Okay, but first, why don't we take another break here? Uh, get another message and come back. Okay. Be sure to come back. Are you new to the ham world or an existing amateur operator who wants to take your license to the next level? Study for your radio license exam at hamstudy.org. Hamstudy.org is a free online learning tool powered by ICOM. It was created by Richard Bateman, KD7BBC, Michael Stuffelbeam, KV9G, and Rich Porter, KK6GKE, and it uses a modern web design to enhance the experience of studying for your technician, general, and amateur extra exams. Since 2013, hamstudy.org has helped new and existing hams to familiarize themselves with the question pools, use stats-based flashcards to focus on material they need to learn, and take practice exams to gauge progress. Visit hamstudy.org on your desktop computer or mobile device. Register for a free account at hamstudy.org to access personalized study history and other site features. Prepare for an exam in an intuitive and comprehensive manner. Check out hamstudy.org powered by ICOM for free learning tools. Good luck on your next exam. What you got there, Tommy? 
I got one of those little fidget spinners, I think they're called. Uh, we actually ran into Richard from uh, hamstudy.org at the HamFest this past yeah. weekend, and we got to chat with him for a few minutes. It was pretty He uh, He gave us a couple of these. Well, that looks cool when you uh, run it through the roof. For it's actually a lot camera. cooler if you got it. With the, something about the thing. Like, They're like I that. Isn't that wild? Uh-huh. It's like a gyroscope. Four set of ball bearings in that, and that's, what, 3D printed? Yeah, he pre-3D printed the, the housing and the, and the little handles here. Pretty awesome, pretty smooth. We ran into Richard, uh, K7BBC. He's the creator of hamstudy.org. It's fin- nice to finally meet you. Good to meet you, too. Yeah, we uh, we run your spots on our Ham College show, and uh, it's a great site. Can you tell us how you kind of got started with that? Yeah, so I've been a VE for about 15 years. Uh, my father-in-law actually runs uh, one of W5YI's largest uh, testing sessions. We run between 40 and 80 applicants every month. And... Uh, I got frustrated with all of the people coming through our sessions, and especially the uh, less common demographics, maybe we could say, you know, younger kids and, and uh, working mothers and, you know, so many people coming through uh, that were just not familiar with ham radio. They're trying to get into ham radio. They've been studying by taking practice tests over and over again, just randomized practice tests, and then they come and take the test. They don't pass it. And they haven't seen all of the questions. And I heard that over and over and over again. I, I've never seen half the questions that showed up on this exam. This used to be like a, a monthly occurrence. Every single test session, uh, I would hear that. And so eventually, uh, I'm a software developer, and I decided I needed to do something about that. And so what we really focus on in Ham Study is providing targeted tools, directed tools to actually track your study. You know, our flashcards are intelligent. They keep track of your progress. They uh, make sure that they give you the questions that you need to study. They're smart enough to know that you might guess the right answer the first time you see it and that it needs to, uh, to, to show that to you again. Um, and then uh, our wonderful users have provided explanations for most of those questions. Uh, ICOM has been ki- kind enough to sponsor us. And uh, it's really just been taking off. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's, it's a great site. Like I said, we recommend it every month on Ham College. Um, where are you from? I am from Utah. Okay, Utah. Yeah, I get out there every once in a while for work to Salt Lake City area. Um, anyway, it's a great site, and I uh, appreciate you taking a couple minutes to talk to us. I got one of these the other day when I was here, little spinner thing, and uh, that thing's like crack, man. I can't seem to put it down. You got re- given a lot of them out here or something? You know, we've uh, we've had a lot of people come look at those. I think as much as anything, it's it's helped bring people in where I can talk to them about ham study. Um, our owner, Signal Stuff, has got us selling these antennas uh, as well as a fundraiser for that. And so it's been good to kind of have people able to come in. If you're not familiar with these, just a, a real quick demo. This is called the Super Elastic Signal Stick, and it is the most reliable antenna, at least the most durable antenna that you're going to find for a handheld antenna, for a handheld radio. Uh, especially since it's got a lifetime warranty. So if, if you do manage to break it, Signal Stuff will replace it free of charge. Um, so it's you know it's really just been a lot of fun being able to talk to people about ham study. I think a lot of people are still not aware of that tool. They're still learning about the tools from their Elmer, from the, the, the mentor that taught them how to get into ham radio. And they got into ham radio 20 years ago, and that was the tool they used then. They don't realize that there are better tools out there now. Yeah, it's, like I said, it's a great site, and uh, we recommend it uh, every month. So hopefully he's driven some people your way i appreciate that it's been great yeah it's great to see you finally good to meet you too take care
You too. Yeah, it was kind of neat running into him. He's a pretty nice fellow. He is, and he's got a, a great service there for studying for your exam. It's free. Yeah. And I agreed with what he said. You know, you just don't want to go take practice exams, and that's the only study you do. Right. Uh, you need a little bit of, you know, background, a little theory, and hamstudy.org gives that to you. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a great site. If uh, if you still need some more reinforcement after going through uh, the mm-hmm. rest of uh, Ham, Ham College here, go check out this site. It's pretty well, good it's, it's good to, you know, have it coming at you from multiple directions and mm-hmm. just, you know, keep bringing the information in front of you. And just like Ham College, hamstudy.org is powered by ICOM. Yep. So uh, we appreciate ICOM helping out with oh, uh, yeah. with both of these efforts. ICOM, ICOM always does a lot to kind of give back to the ham radio community. They do. They do. Well, uh, let's see. Where did we leave off, Tommy? Oh, we were going to talk about what, to, what do. to do at the exam. Well, what's the first thing you're going to need to do when you get Pass there? Pass your test. No, that's not the first that's thing. That's not the first thing? Mm-mm. Well, you've got to actually fill out that Form 605. Uh, yep. So they've got the correct information. Be sure to use your full name. Remember, you'll need to use it the exact name on any future ones that you take mm-hmm. also. So so no aliases. Yep. You're going to need to put your name, date, and test number on your answer sheet because there are different test numbers, and you don't want to get that mixed up or they're going to grade your exam mm-hmm. incorrectly. Yeah, do not write on the question sheet only the answer sheet. That's important because they reuse those sheets. Mm-hmm. Um, and just uh, uh, a fine example I made here earlier purposefully. Purposefully? Something like that. You need to read those questions carefully. And reread over them if you're not sure because, um, you know, many of the answers are trick answers kind of crafted to steer you away from from the correct answer. Appreciate it's, you throwing yourself under the bus on that last one well, like that, I just did to make for, the point. For the viewers, man. I see, you, I see viewers. you did. That was a pretty good thing yep. for you to do. Um, and, and this is my tip right here. If you're unsure of the correct answer on one of the questions there, just skip over it for the moment and uh, and move on come back to it later because you might find you've got another question down further in your exam that almost answers the question that you were that you were unsure about mm-hmm. so uh be sure to go back though over your test on your answer sheet after you've gone all the way through make sure you've got a mark in every yeah because if you there. if you leave it blank it's going to be counted as incorrect right so if you just have no idea at all take your best guess or just mark something. You know, yeah, you, you got, got a chance to get it right. Yep. Uh, let's see. Typically, typically your first hunch, most most often that's going to be mm-hmm. pretty pretty well it. I think that's what they say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's not a set length of time. There's no one standing there with a stopwatch, clocking you to see that you only spend a certain length of time taking your exam. So, you know, after you've you've answered all the questions, go back over them again, you know, if, if uh, you feel like you got time. 
And and make sure that uh, you agree with the answers you gave yeah. before you turn it in. And if you get one of those tricky worded ones, again, like you said, there's no time limit. Go back and reread it and reread it again if you want to, to make sure that you fully understand what you're answering. Because there are some of them, they intentionally try to tr- kind of trip you up a little bit with the wording. Yep. And once you turn in your paper, what do you do then? Wait. See, you were right on top of that one right there. I'm good at waiting. Yeah. Uh, You know, depending on where you take it, you may just wait there right at the table, um, Mm -hmm. you know, until it's been graded. Or you may need to leave the room and then come back later and check on the results if they're giving a lot of you know, exams that day. Yeah, and, and that if, you, if you're taking that at a ham fest, it's really often for them to tell you, you know, go out to the ham fest and we'll make the announcements when the, all yep. the grading's done. Yeah. I've seen them do that quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, so uh, be prepared to wait, you know, just a little while. You'll get the answer that day. Oh, yeah. Uh, typically, and usually not, not too long, there was, unless there was just a lot of people taking it. Because every exam has got to be checked by three different people, and they've all got to say, you know, these they got right, these they got wrong. Yeah. And then paperwork's got to be filled out. All of that's got to be checked off before they really give you an answer if you passed or failed. Yep. It's a, it's a really good uh, system. they got checks and balances there to make sure there's mm-hmm. no cheating from anyone's side. All right. So if the examiners come back to you and say tommy you passed your technician exam they might ask you feel aware, feel do you want to take the general exam while you're here and what are you going to say i'm going to say heck yeah yep it's not going to cost anything that's extra. right and it's not going to it's not going to hurt anything it might feel like a little bit of pressure he said it doesn't cost any more good chance you you may get it yep uh, you know, whether you've studied or not, if the opportunity's there, go ahead and take it just to see what it's like, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I do still agree that you should go back, you should study that theory for well, it. Well, you should. Even if you take it and accidentally pass it or whatever. So mm-hmm. that's all great stuff to know, but sure not yeah. going to hurt anything to try it while you're there. And, you know, that's the way Professor Thomas got to be an extra. Is it? Yep. You know, I went and studied for my general. Went and took the test. I passed it. I had not cracked a book on the extra, but they said, do you want to take the extra exam while you're here? And I said, uh, yeah, why not? So I took it, and, man, I thought they were going to run out of ink with that red pen they were grading with there because there was a bunch of little circles on, on my paper there of ones I missed, but apparently I didn't miss too many, and so I got my extra without really studying for it oh of course you know i i got a history working in broadcasting and all for a number of years and i had studied pretty hard for that general so i was just kind of in the frame of mind for taking an uh, you know an fcc style exam Mm -hmm. so you know for me it worked out go ahead take the next level while you're there even if you haven't specifically studied for it you could luck up yeah now, I, di- I didn't take my own advice and do the general. I didn't uh, when I took mine. Well, I didn't when I took my technician, no. Yeah, but I mean, when I took the general, I didn't do the extra at the same time. You did I did. I actually took the general 
in Missouri, and then I came down here to the Hamfest and took the action. and took it in Jackson. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a good excuse for a road trip. Yeah. All right, so you know we're addressing technicians primarily so far in Ham College, although we're going to the general uh, question pool next. You've passed your exam. They've told you, okay, you got it. What do you do now? I have to wait for my call sign to hit the FCC mm -hmm. database. Yep. And how long is that going to take? It really going to vary depending on who you take your test with. So the ARRL one takes typically several weeks, I think, for it to go through. At least it has in my experience. Now, some of them may not be as long, um, but the the Laurel one actually was pretty fast. They have some type of an electronic mm -hmm. system that they're using. And uh, Ashley, one of the members of the Facebook group and, and viewers of both shows, mm -hmm. she took hers at Dayton that morning and had her call sign that evening. And that's pretty amazing. I have never never heard of anyone getting it that fast. Yeah, before. so I, I, I don't know anyone around here that does Laurel, but uh, that that's pretty cool mm -hmm. that they have that system like yeah. that. I think all of them electronically file it now, so it is faster. Uh, what I was uh, reading earlier is it's it's not like it was when we took our first exam and it's several weeks. It's a little quicker than that now. But be prepared to wait. You don't want to transmit until you've got that call sign. Oh, yeah. You're, you're not legal until you have your call sign. So. And you don't have to wait till you've got a paper copy of your license. So once you know your call sign... Well, they don't mail them anymore. They don't. You have, you to, have to go... When you get it, you mm -hmm. have to print it. Mm -hmm. So as soon as it gets there, I guess you can probably print it out at the same time. I guess you can. So you need to you get your ULS account, and you can go there and manage your own uh, call sign. And one thing I wanted to show here a little earlier, wireless.fcc.gov. Uh, click on the link for a license search, and you're supposed to be able to enter your name in there. That is all that we had prepared, and I use the term loosely. Yeah. To uh, to cover tonight. Well, it's good information. I, I hope the tips uh, we did after the questions this evening were helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I, once again, I want to encourage you, when you get ready, go to w5yi.org, find the VE in your area, and contact them. And they will help you get set up to take your exam, tell you exactly what you need to bring. And put your name on the list so that the day you show up, there will be plenty of examiners there to give the test. Yep. That should work nicely. Thanks for being here. All you people studying for your technician exam that don't have the call sign yet, the magic hour has arrived. It's time to do it. It's time to do it. We will see you guys next month, and uh, we'll start with the... Uh so in the general. Yep. Not sure exactly where in the general we'll start, but be in the general vicinity. <laughs> be sure and catch us for Amateur Logic in about two weeks. Watch on social media for the time yeah. and the exact day when we'll be shooting that yeah, if you want to join. You're not going to want to miss this one. Yeah. All right. 73, everybody. 73. Good night.
And who do you think? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I cracked myself up. That's never happened. Before. We haven't had one of those in a while here. <laughs> And who did that? Richard from uh, hamstudy.org. And? And? I already, <laughs> I already said we got a chance to talk to him. Oh, you and you never, I was waiting for you to hit the button. I started to oh. reach over there and hit it myself. <laughs> okay. Take two.